and welcome to Act 2, a podcast by Choosing Him Ministries with hosts Tisha James and myself, Andrew Pace. Join us as we talk with others to learn more about moments when their own lives encountered in Act 2. Good morning, listeners. Welcome back to our part two interview with Alan Beasley. If you have not listened to the first half of this amazing testimony, I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's part one, where Alan shares with us the beginning of his COVID journey. Enjoy. So I had, I had that infusion that day, um, and I just progressively started getting even better. Um, I didn't see the hospitalist till, and, but and I say better, I hadn't had another negative turn. How about that? Okay. I was it stabilized and I was still the same. And at that point, remaining the same was good for Alan. So, but right. she couldn't come in. She, she's one hospital is covering every COVID patient in the hospital almost. So, it was Tuesday night before she came back. So she was there Monday morning, mm-hmm. saw me, you know, I had the infusion. I was able to watch the championship football game Monday night and actually realize what was going on. I didn't see her Tuesday morning. I was wondering. So she comes in Tuesday night and looks at my chart, looks at all my vitals, all my blood work. And she says, um, we think we're going to let you go home tomorrow. And I said, what? She said, yeah, you're, you're not well, but you're too well to be in the hospital. That's what she said. Wow. So we're going to go ahead and take you off this mask. We're going to put you back on a nasal cannula and we'll see how, if you're okay in the morning, you know, then we'll let you go home. I was absolutely flabbergasted. Right. And that was a tricky statement for a nurse to make at the time because just because they were sending you home. Before COVID, you probably would not have been going home. But right. because so many people were sick, you were going home sick. You just weren't right. bad enough to right. take somebody so, else's bed at that time. Yeah. yeah. So I said to her, I said, well, can you leave the mask on just so I can sleep tonight without anxiety, panic, mm-hmm. so on and so forth? So she did. She came in the next morning and said, are you ready to go home? I mean, I, like I said, and, and I had many x-rays of my chest, my lungs in that time. And so uh, the cardiologist that my daughter works for, he was, he was also caring for me. Mm-hmm. Although he was not coming over to the hospital, he was caring for me. And he'd call me every morning and he would say, well, you're, you know, you're, you're stable and you're, so you're making progress kind of, that's the way they looked at things. Mm-hmm. And if you're stable, you're making progress. So when she came in Wednesday morning, said, look, we're going to discharge you. And I said, all you have to do. And so then she said, um, we're going to take you off the mask. We're going to put you on the nasal cannula again, and we're going to see if you can go home. And she said, now you're going to go home with oxygen unless you can walk around the room for 15 minutes and your oxygen stay above 90. So then I sent everybody a text message. I said, look, you got to pray that I don't have to come home with oxygen. I mean, by now I'm really thinking I, I, I don't want to come home with oxygen. So, so at about 1145, 
and and so um in the during that time i just keep seeing the nurses come by and she's walking back behind me and i keep you know i don't pay attention fine i said what are you doing she said are you messing with my oxygen she said yeah i'm turning it down because you don't need it so high mm-hmm. and i said okay so she finally take it off i walk around the room 15 minutes i keep my oxygen up and um and they let me go home on Wednesday. So from Thursday to Wednesday, I went from, you know, a CT scan that had my lungs solid in COVID pneumonia, both lungs, to essentially a clear um, lung X-ray. Um, I go home. Um, I start the rehab, and took me you know, a month maybe to feel somewhat normal after that. Um, I went back to, I started preaching after two weeks, but it really was about all I could do, you know, kind of thing. And um, so that's kind of the story of me in the hospital, out of the hospital. Kind of the miracle part of the story is what I find out after I get out of the hospital. And so that Sunday morning, about the same time that 3 3.30 in the morning, when I felt like I was headed, like I was dying, I really did at some point. I had a physician here in Jasper, <clears throat> had nothing to do with my case, who had been out of, so he had not been a regular church attender for many years, started coming to our church sporadically, um, just before COVID and maybe been once or twice since we reopened. But he said, no, look, he not, he's not, would not claim to be a super religious kind of guy. Tells me after I get out of the hospital that he woke up at three 30 in the morning with me on his mind. He, he, he's, he is in the family of doc of, ownership so that he could look at my records. He's a tenant doctor, so he could look at my record. He said, and his brother had died of COVID. He's one of the people that I had attended a funeral of that kind of was going through the same path. He tells me after I get out of the hospital, I looked at your chart on Sunday morning at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, and you were headed in the wrong direction. He said, you were headed in the same direction that my brother did not recover from. Mm -hmm. You were headed in the exact same direction. And he said, so at 3.30 in the morning, 4 o'clock, I called everybody I knew and started asking them to pray for you. Wow. Um, He barely knew me. I mean, he knew who I was because he's a physician in this community. I'm a pastor of this church, and so he needed to know who I am. And his partner is um, a member of our church, so on and so forth. But... um, just God woke him up in the middle of the night and had him start start telling people to pray for me because I was headed in the same direction as his brother who never walked out of the exact same hospital before he died. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, and, and then he tells me that your lung CT, when you went in and your lung X-ray, when you left, is a medical impossibility. That's a quote from a doctor. That's a medical impossibility 
that you can have pneumonia, regular pneumonia, much less COVID pneumonia, which was a lot more severe type of thick and Tisha, you know, thick mucus, you know, he said, that's a medical impossibility. I can't explain how that happened. I said, I can. (laughs) So, um, it's, it's kind of the, you know, I, once I get out of the hospital and I start finding out this and I have people telling me stories about what was going on in Jasper while I was in Birmingham in the hospital, it, that's when I started putting all the pieces together that what had happened somewhere in between three 30 on Sunday morning and 2.30 Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock, you know, I, I kind of lost track. I, I tried to go back and put the timeline together from text messages that, you know, I'd sent, received, and that became, a, it, it, it was really a mute point. I mean, it doesn't make any difference if I can tell you the exact times or not, but I can just tell you between 3.34 in the morning when I was having a panic attack and couldn't control my breathing to 2.33 in the afternoon when I took a decided turn for the better, um, I believe at, at that point is when God clearly touched me, clearly did something in my life that only he could do. Mm-hmm. And um, when I heard physicians and, and other people telling me what was going on that Sunday morning and what I knew already was going on Sunday morning. And uh, so that x-ray when I left on Wednesday and I asked them to do that. Um, they weren't going to do that. I said, look, can, before I go, I want you, can I request an x-ray? Cause I want that x-ray the day I leave the hospital. And they said, sure, you know, we can do that. You know, look, the federal government's paying us <laughs> wonderfully for anything we do here. So go, we'll do anything you ask. Mr. Green. Okay, good. So they took the x-ray. And so I have that and it's like, that's what is medically impossible to explain. Two weeks later, when I went to my follow-up and my regular doctor here, um, I have what then becomes a almost perfectly clear lung x-ray. It had maybe two, three spots on it. And he said, that's the last bit of infection that is still around. And he said, the better thing is, is you don't have any, I can't remember the exact word that he used, but it was like permanent damage to the bottom lobe of my lungs. You know, he said, you have nothing. He said, we have not seen that in this whole year or almost, you know, then. So I go back to him the 1st of February. So it's now 11 months almost. He said, in 11 months, we haven't seen an x-ray of somebody that's been hospitalized with COVID in both their lungs that doesn't, is not going to have permanent scarring in their lungs. Hmm. And then, I, and so as part of protocol, now I have to go see my daughter's boss as a cardiologist. Now I become a cardiology patient because protocol says hmm. you have to have a cardiology follow-up if you've had COVID. So I go see him. He does an echo on my heart and, um, I, he says, Alan, you got your heart's fine. You're, you have no collateral damage from the COVID in your heart. Um, oh, that's amazing. That really was not everybody's story. 
Yeah, um, I mean, that we've talked, I mean, I know. I got, mm-hmm. I know. And <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. just, I mean, every time I tell it, it's, it's this all over again. Yeah. You know, I just yeah. can't tell it without just being so overwhelmed by um, how blessed and favored I was. And I, I just, and that's just the story, and it's it's unbelievable what um, what has transpired, and, and now a year later, um, or a year and a half later, um, I've had my one year annual follow ups to all of those people, and apparently I'm going to have no long term effects at all, none at none whatsoever. Um, in fact, the cardiologist did an echo and. Um, I mean, it's as strong as it was a year ago. Yeah. So. so let me let me tap into um, little spiritual questions here. So, yes, when we have that experience, when God saves our life, not only spiritually but physically here on earth, the follow-up question would be, what do you do with that? Because if we just say, not just say, God gave me a you know, miracle. He mm-hmm. saved my life here. Right. And, and then right. that's then we just kind of forget it. We put it in this box and that's yeah, that was that year and we've moved on. Yeah. We've missed right. we've missed the true gift. Right. What do you do with that? Um what do you feel like God what mission do you feel like God has placed in you? Um, because he chose to keep you here. Um yeah. So um now let me kind of interject. So at the same time and, and this, and I didn't, you know, I don't, I don't know where this really fits in. I'm not sure it really fits in here. But before I answer that question, I'm going to fit it in right here. So <laughs> Sounds good. Get <laughs> you, <for> your <laughs> editors might can edit this out and just forget it. But anyway, so at the same time that I'm in the hospital with COVID, the pastor that I followed here in Jasper also is diagnosed with COVID. We were di- we uh, unrelated cases. Um, I have no clue where I you know, back then, you know, the big deal was where did you get it? Where right. Did you, get it? Right. did you get it from? Contact Who? tracing. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, so but I have no idea where I got it. I have no idea where I got it. He has no idea where he got it. Um, but anyway, we tested positive about the same time. As I was getting out of the hospital, he had had some serious complications and he was put in the hospital at UAB and uh, he never came out. He passed away. So, um, the exact same people that were praying for me, praying for Tex Herbal. The same church, praying for Tex Herbal, praying for me. 100% 100 opposite result. So, I'm very aware of that. And so, um, and I still pastor in Jasper. Tex's wife is still a vital member of our church. Um, and you know, so I've had to navigate the weight of his death at the same time. I'm trying to answer your question. You know, what do I do with that? So, and, and I see it in terms of, I've given the answer to that question, kind of the title assignment. What is my assignment? I like that word. What has God, you know, what is my assignment? Mm-hmm. And and so my assignment is 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 kind of 
flow kind of is in flux a lot of the time it's kind of but um it's so the first thing that happened you know kind of my assignment was god started giving me um what i've called ref- i first called them things i learned but then i decided it wasn't things i learned it was things i probably became more aware of okay. um became more important to me um that reflective thought, whatever you want to say. And, and before my list was over, I had 20 of those. I had 20 things that I really became important to me. And so I've tried to, part of that, so I've tried to use those as a way to um, tell my story or tell parts of my story because I'm still very aware of the sensitivity of me telling my story and the kind of raw nature of our church because we have the complete opposite story sitting in our church as well. And his wife is at our church every Sunday singing in the choir, participating like the church. So, but I think bigger than just related to that, um, I've, I've re you know, and there's a, a lot to the story related to my assignment. Um, that some of the people God put in my life just before I went into the hospital are, are really people that can pray. And one of the things I learned is that it's valuable to have people in your life who will pray. Mm-hmm. And, and additionally, there's value in having people in your life who will really pray. Right. right. Which, which really, which the spiritual term to that is I value any prayer that was prayed for my health and all prayer is valuable. There are people that have the gift of prayer Mm -hmm. to think in terms of a spiritual dimension. There are people that have the gift of prayer, the gift of intercession. There's great value to having people with the gift of intercession in your life. Those same people, some of those same people have helped me understand that God has put me in a particular place, in a particular season of life to impact the kingdom in Jasper and that I need to think beyond my local church. How can I, and again, this is, so I've been here 11 and a half years. I'm in my 12th year and I've probably um, now out distance um, all the full-time pastors in our community. All of them but one have every church in our community that's a large, you know, we'll call a large church. Their pastors have had, there's been transition in their pastoral ministry. So I have a unique, and um, so it's hard to explain, but for some reasons, I have a unique influence Mm -hmm. in our community. Mm -hmm. And I know that, again, that sounds bad, right? That's like. No, it it, it doesn't. I'm just. I'm just trying to say I have, I've tried to receive that as God placing me in Jasper with unique influence. And this season of my life, I'm trying to leverage that for awakening in our community as best I can. Um, it's, it's been an adventure, um, because, um, Dealing with clergy is some of the worst times of my life. Um, they, 
they disappoint you. <laughs> I mean, my, my my friends in town, clergy, they just, they they can be, you know, they they will say they'll do things and they won't. So it's just been an in- adventure. And I'm growing through that personally. I'm getting through that. But so I'm trying to leverage the fact that I was given the gift of life. Right. Not just for me personally, but for the sake of the kingdom. Yep. And influence our city and and leverage the gift that I've been given um, of influence with people in the community. So, and that's kind of taken uh, several different paths yeah. so far. I love so. the, the fact that you use the word reflection um, because whether you're a pastor or whether you're a lay person or whether you're an unbeliever, if you don't reflect back on what has happened, then you don't really have the balance of where to go with it. Um, One of the most important things, I think, especially speaking from someone who was on the other side of the story from you, um, you know, we mom was in the same boat with, with, with um, Tex and she didn't make it. So for me, looking at your story, it's like, I want to be your greatest cheerleader. You're the one who got the baton when other people mm-hmm. got to go see Jesus. It was passed mm-hmm. off to you and your race. I, I want to see mm-hmm. when somebody's struggling and God's given them a second chance, there's a real purpose put on your life. There's a real um, responsibility that you have. And I don't want to see someone who's been given that choice to not succeed, to to fail, or to not be so intentional because God not only healed you, but he ordained you even in a different sense mm-hmm. for ministry. You know, like you, right. you have a purpose. And I, mm-hmm. I, so thinking back, even with, with your journey, with right. your heart and with anybody who's had COVID or anything else in your life, whether you've been in a car accident and you shouldn't have survived it and you did and what other ways when God's given you that act two and he's given you that second chance, mm-hmm. don't waste it. Right. And put yourself around people who are going to say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to be your greatest cheerleader because not only is it important for you to see the lesson that God is teaching you in this time, Mm -hmm. it is of the utmost importance for you to share his lessons, his truths Mm -hmm. with everybody else because he, he doesn't just save us for ourselves. Jesus did that Mm -hmm. on the cross. Like we're good. Right. But he saves us for, like you said, the kingdom purpose. And we have a responsibility with that. Yes. And I, I don't want to see, I, I want to rejoice with people when God gives them the second, sometimes mm-hmm. even third chance, because right. it's, his hand literally has come upon you. Mm-hmm. His hand mm-hmm. has said, I am ordaining you. I'm going to use you if you're willing to be this vessel, but he has set you apart. And I don't think that's something, I know survivor's guilt is a real thing, but I'm telling you, I, I don't think there should be any guilt, but responsibility mm-hmm. and willingness to be obedient to what God's doing, because he literally said, I have kept you as a vessel for me. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and what, and I think kind of the way I've tried to live that out is I've tried to take, you know, the things I've become aware of mm-hmm. and that some of those become platforms for sermons I preach right. and right. I never mentioned my story, mm-hmm. you know, but so, you know, I, I try to get through the story without making it to, you know, an, hour, an entire hour and a half long. But one of the things that when I got so sick Sunday morning is um, it just, it, I can't, I had a, a crisis of faith. Yes. I really did. I had a crisis of faith. 
and it, I was face to face with this question: Did I really believe what I believe? Mm. Wow! I came mm. look. I, I I was laid in that bed in that hospital room, and so I I thought about look, Alan, you've been you stood in a pulpit and preached almost every Sunday at this time for 37 plus years. And I said to my, I'm thinking now here, you've got to decide, do you really believe? <laughs> um, what you believe. And I didn't realize that's what had happened until, um, it's an interesting part of the story until, two months later in March when CC Winers releases this song, Believe For It. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is I had laid in that hospital. And so when I'm asking myself, do you believe what you believe? I, so it changed the way I started praying. And I started praying in the sense that God, I believe, mm-hmm. you know, I believe you can heal me. I believe you can touch me. Um, I, I believe that you can change the direction of my life. I truly believe that. And so I started praying in that context and that, that, that followed this crisis of faith that I had where I was face to face with this question. Did I really believe what I believe now? What's happened to me since then is that I have greater confidence now, I think in the God that I have faith in, if that makes sense as a person that's now, Mm -hmm. you know, 38 and a half years in ministry, does it make sense at all that I have more confidence in the God who I have that my faith is invested in? It may not make sense, but it is reality for Alan that now my faith, because also part of that is I, I, I'm, I'm laying in the hospital and I'm thinking after I asked that myself, that question is kind of like God laid on my heart, but could you be in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego mm-hmm. and say, you know, God, even if you don't save me, I'm still going to love you. I'm still mm-hmm. going to, you know, and the honest confession of my heart is I'm not sure I'm, I was there at that point. I'm not sure I, I couldn't say, Oh, ab- absolutely. God, I, you know, whatever, you know, for you. Yeah. That. So the first question was haunting enough. Do I believe what I believe? But then the next question God places on my heart is, well, could you be in the fire furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And I think it was the humility of saying, mm, I don't know. I don't know, but I believe. And so I I couldn't answer the question, but it it just drove me to say, but I believe that just like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, I can walk out of that fiery furnace alive with a place in the kingdom of God that you're giving me. And so, um, so it was, it was a challenge. I mean, it was not, it just wasn't that, you know, it was, easy for me to process and since you know in the months after is when i took um you know the everything the 20 principles or 20 whatevers 
and I've tried to make them a platform of teaching whenever I can um, because I think they're even though they're connected I, I've um, I've kind of grouped them there's like 10 categories mm-hmm. of them <laughs> that my you know my preacher kind of make everything right, into this right. that it, you know kind of kicks in every now and then so I categorized them into 10 and that's what's led to writing my story awesome. which um, I hopefully will get done one of these days and um, publish book number two which I've kind of felt God called me to do that God, um, God. but God's not um, whipping me into the <laughs> position so that I can get it finished that's okay <laughs> so. that's okay I I'll just go back to the what I firmly believe is that when God does things in us, they're not meant to stay with us. They're meant to flow through us mm-hmm. and to other people. Mm-hmm. And our stories and our journeys are all about his glory, his goodness, mm-hmm. his faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And if we just take our little gift and we go sit at home and we make it all pretty and we keep it to us, mm-hmm. we're missing the other half of the gift. And the gift is being able to give God glory and show others mm-hmm. a, new, a new way to walk. Because a lot of our listeners are going to hear your story and they're going to sit on both sides of that. And they're they're either going to relate and say, yes, I was healed too. But then I would challenge them with, what have you done with that? What have you done with a gift of the second act for your life? Are you honoring God with it or are you taking it for yourself and going home? Um, The other side would be, that was not my story and God didn't answer my prayer and he didn't heal me. And that's a wrestling moment. And I love that you're being vulnerable and transparent and honest mm-hmm. enough to say, I wrestled with God that night. We struggled. And Jacob tells us yeah. that story when he wrestled with God and he's like, I will don't I will not let you go until we fight through this. And that is something I cling through, cling to a lot in my life. There are things I don't understand, things that God doesn't intend for me to understand on this side of heaven. But he is a big enough God for us to wrestle through the things we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, I, I will be the greatest cheerleader for someone that God has said, nope, you're not coming to me yet. You got the baton. Now run with it. And I will cheer anyone on and say, you know, don't, don't lose that gift. Don't waste it away because it's a powerful influence that God wants to use you. So, um, thank, thank you. Thank you for your story and your journey. Um, it's been a hard one, but I do believe as I've even, listen to your sermons and um, you've walked us through another death in our family of my father-in-law and a dear friend of yours. Um, You just have such a heart for God and um, it really overflows into even your interactions with people, the way you love people. And I would say the two things that God challenges us and calls us and commands us is to love him and to love others. And you have done that very well. Thank you. Thank you. Very well. Thank you. So, you know, as we close out today, Alan, uh, you want to ask? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and it seems very appropriate for this, but what what legacy do you want to leave? Like, what do you want to be remembered by? Um, I, I want to be remembered as, um, you know, related to the subject today that didn't waste the opportunity that I've been given. I, I don't want to, I, I don't want somebody to say, you know, Alan has a story of, of God touching his life, you know, is a, a real life miracle story and he just wasted it. You know, that, that would relate it to the story, but 
you know, I, I also want to be remembered it by the, the legacy that, you know, regardless of everything else that I might do as a pastor, did I help people, encourage people, move people into a more intimate relationship with Christ? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, if, you know, so, you know, as pastors, we get caught up in measuring success most of the time with all the wrong in all the wrong ways mm-hmm. you know it the metrics is way off base most of the time when people measure our success because they want to look at you and say how big did you grow this church right. you know right. how, you know all these awesome things you know so but that's the wrong metric um because i don't believe every pastor is called to grow a huge church mm-hmm. they're called to serve where they are mm-hmm. as a united methodist i had marginal control over where I served, you know, I'm appointed a group of people appoint me into where I'm going to serve. I'm not called, I'm appointed. And not every situation um, is going to grow a huge, large church. But what I can do is take the people that I have invest into their life so that at the end of the day, they can say, my pastor helped me to love God and love people in a greater capacity while he was here. Mm. And that's kind of the legacy yes. that yeah. helps me. Yes. Oh, well, you're, you're um, already walking that talk. So thank you, Alan. So, thank you. So anyway. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your time thank today. You. Thank you for your heart yeah. and being able to share yeah. your story. I know God's going to use this um, for our listeners. I know you've always already done it in our lives today. So thank you for your service to God and, and to and, us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank of you course. very much. Thank you. And listeners, you know, like we always say, whatever your story is, whatever your journey is, you own it, use it, and let God just use it through your life and everybody else's. Y'all have a blessed day. Bye, guys.